0: Well, hey, just like Nick said, happy Dad's Day. And I was telling somebody earlier that this is like the first official Father's Day for me. Even though we had Lennon last year, she just was like this cute little blob on the couch. And now she feels like more of an adult. That did not land. Uh, that's all right. It, 9 a.m. they thought it was way funnier than you just did. That's okay. That's good humility. Um, but it is really fun like to be a dad and to have... Uh, all of you inspiring and encouraging us younger dads on in the journey. It's funny because like I have, I mean, in the last year or so, I have learned a few things. I don't know a lot of things and I still feel really dumb when it comes to parenting and being a dad, but there's a couple of things I learned. The first thing I learned very quickly on is that my daughter responds well to food. Okay, so <laughs> she's like, if she is crabby, she's in a bad mood, especially if I'm alone at home with her. I'm like, I'm going to the food cabinet. So what I typically go to is I go up into her. She's got her own little thing. And I go grab this box of Crispy Oats straight out of the Millville factory, okay? Now, you may be confused. These are Aldi brand. Gas is so high, we cannot make it to Meijer anymore, friends. We just go right to Aldi. These are the off-brand knockoff Crispy Oats. She has no idea the difference, and I hope to keep it that way. Uh, But these are the crispy oats. And so what I will do, if she's like angry or just mad and she wants mom and mom is in another city away or something, I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get down with a Cheerio scavenger hunt. Okay, so I go and I grab these and a Cheerio scavenger hunt, in case you haven't mastered this yet as a parent, is you reach in this box, you take out a few and in different rooms of your house, you kind of just sprinkle Cheerios, you know what I'm saying? Like, so a couple on the floor a couple on the, the, the kind of rail of the refrigerator, a couple in the dining room, maybe one or two on the living room couch. And Lennon thinks this is the coolest thing ever. She's like, this is my dad. Here's an example. This was here the other day in her swimsuit, just chilling. Look at the arrow pointing out what is on the floor though. That is a Cheerio, okay? This this is mid Cheerio scavenger hunt. You are seeing it right now in the flesh, okay? So that's her, and she loves to do it. Like, she's obsessed with it. But I had this kind of moment of realization uh, in our most recent Cheerio scavenger hunt, okay? So I'm sitting there as a dad. It's just her and I. She finds the Cheerios, and I realize something. Lennon, as a one-year-old child, almost 13 months, is completely dependent on me. It's insane. Like, if you go throughout the course of a day, there's basically nothing she can do for herself. It is 100% looking at me. If she's hungry, she walks up to me and just like puts her hands up, like, pick me up and feed me. Or if she's angry and she's tired, her eyes get red and she just kind of starts whimpering, like, why am I still up, Dad? I should have been asleep like 10 minutes ago. Like, she is 100% dependent on me. But did you know, in your spiritual journey, in your spiritual life, all of us, even if we don't recognize this, are 100% dependent on our Heavenly Father. Just like Lennon is dependent on me, all of us live with a, a need, a desire, a bent towards being totally dependent on our Father. And as a dad, when I think about that with her, it's like equally humbling, as it is challenging, as it is beautiful and inspiring, as it is frustrating, and mind-numbing at times. But Len is completely dependent, and all of us were hardwired for dependence on our Father. Here's the trick, though. We grew up in cultures, in families, maybe even in churches, where the messages we receive are be independent at all costs. Like, be independent, do your own thing, build your own thing, start your own family, Uh, find a new place, go to a new church, build your own house. It's like we are, our our whole lives, if we get honest, are this this pursuit of total independence from needing anybody or anything or anyone else to tell us what to do. But the spiritual life, if lived independently is fatal. It's death. It's awful. It's exhausting, terrifying, burned out. I mean, it's, it's not how you want to live. It's not how I want to live. And if I'm honest long enough, my heart longs, my soul longs for practices and disciplines that can actually keep me rooted in dependence on God. It's like the most counterintuitive thing. Like it doesn't happen in the abstract. You don't grow in Christ just by osmosis, even though coming to church is good. But there are disciplines and practices, if we choose to adopt them, to take them on, that can help us grow in dependence our Heavenly Father and today we're going to talk about a practice I bet maybe none of us actually practiced last week at least intentionally we're gonna we're gonna talk about something that Jesus assumed his followers would do that very few of us ever practice every very few of us ever uh, implement in our lives to, to set that up I want to take you to a really interesting passage John 4 so this is the fourth gospel John's gospel his biographical account. Jesus' life, earth, ministry, all that stuff. And in John 4, to set that up, we're going to start in verse 31 to give you kind of a, a moment to get there. If you have a device or Bible, it's a great time uh, to go there. In John 4, Jesus is having this really interesting, interactive conversation with a Samaritan woman who would have been outside the cultural boundaries for Jesus. It wouldn't have made any sense, yet he talks to her, he, ta- he preaches to her about living water and, and having her life rooted in him as a savior, she goes back to the town, just lit up by this message. Like she cannot believe this conversation she has with Jesus. And on the heels of that conversation, listen to what what the, the gospel writer says in verse 31. John 4, 31. Meanwhile, this is talking about Jesus. His disciples urged him, rabbi, teacher, eat something. Eat something. Now on the heels of that, The next verse should read, and thus Jesus got his merry men and they all went to Costco and got bulk raisins and meat and wines and whatever else you tend to buy at Costco. I don't know. I don't know why raisins came to mind first, but who doesn't need 30 pounds of raisins here and there, you know? But it doesn't say that. Like they don't go find food. Listen to this really obscure line Jesus gives his disciples. And he's supposed to be their rabbi. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. It's like, oh, hey, I'm just trying to feed you, Rabbi. I'm just trying to make sure you have food. Aren't you hungry from your travels in this conversation? He goes, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples, just like you and me would do, they say to each other, could someone have brought him food? Like, that's our job. We're supposed to be the guys that help provide for Jesus. He's our Rabbi. We're following him around the countryside. We're making sure he's fed. He's got a place to sleep. And someone dropped the ball. Like, did someone else from this Samaritan town bring him food? Jesus, again, doesn't go to Costco. He keeps the weirdness going in this conversation. Look what he says next, verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months till harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So he gives them this kind of obscure line about food and not needing food, but God is his food. And then he gives this kind of idiom about harvests and how they're all supposed to be on this mission of sowing and reaping. The fields are ripe for harvest. He's talking about people. He's probably looking around at ripe fields all around him in the Samaritan region and saying, it's like that. Like we have to go after people. We have to pursue them with the love of God that way. But in these first couple verses, Jesus is talking about the discipline we're going to talk about today. He is pointing to the fact that it's actually through this practice and discipline that we grow in dependence. Jesus here is talking about fasting. He's talking about not eating. He's talking about abstaining for a period or season of time which you do not eat to receive heavenly food, as it were, to receive the presence of God, the truth of God, his words for your fulfillment and for your nourishment. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, here's what I know. It's Father's Day. This is eat barbecue in a disproportionate amount of passion day for some of you. Okay, why, John, are we talking about fasting on Father's Day, like International Day of, of Male Gluttony. Why did you pick this day? And here's uh, why. One of the reasons why is that fasting is discussed more in Scripture than prayer. We talked about prayer last week. Pastor David brought us an incredible message on the need for prayer, the, the hunger for prayer that we should all grow in as disciples of Christ and how that actually leads our soul to a place of flourishing but fasting is discussed, mentioned, talked about, brought up more than prayer. And so obviously for every biblical character, including Jesus, fasting was an important rhythm that they had in their life. Now, the Jewish disciples who are following Jesus around, who we just talked about in John 4, they would have fasted at least once, maybe twice a week. Like that was just Jewish normal. And for them, fasting was not abnormal. It was not a weird thing. And yet, in this moment, I'm assuming maybe Jesus was not on a day he's supposed to be fasting, but he was just maybe hungry. They come to him and they basically ask, aren't you hungry? Why do they ask, are you hungry? Obviously, maybe they noticed Jesus had been tired or, or had, had a long day, or that conversation with Samaritan woman just tapped him out. But if you look at, do some geographical, I don't know, connecting of the dots, what you find is that Jesus and his disciples went from Judea to Galilee to the town of Sicar, where we find him having the conversation with a Samaritan woman. Those are all about 70 miles apart. That would be like God waking you up in the middle of the night and saying, this morning, you will walk on your two bare feet with your chacos on from Grand Rapids to Lansing and have a good trip. Like, do you think at the end of those 70 miles, you would be tired? Yes. Do you think you'd be hungry? Yes. Thirsty? Yes. It would be checking all the boxes. You'd be looking for the nearest... I don't know, whatever place you eat at that's not Chipotle. I'm trying to come up with a different reference there, but can't come up with one. So the nearest Chipotle, okay? You find one in East Lansing and you get fed. This is why. I mean, that's like, I don't know, this is being conservative about a 24-hour walk to do on your bare feet with a couple stops here and there. So is Jesus physically hungry, exhausted? Yes, yes. That's an obvious answer. Yet his response when they say, you should eat something is my food. You don't know anything about my food. They're like, wow, okay. And then he's like, my food is to do the will of God and to finish his work. Why does he say all this? Why does Jesus make such an odd statement or a couple of statements and then challenge them to do the same thing? Because Jesus, even in his full humanity and full divinity, was wired for dependence. And that's what fasting does, honestly. There's really nothing romantic about it, but what fasting does is wire us for dependence in an independent world. That's what it does. When everything else in our world, in our family units, in our social media feeds... In our businesses is saying, "You can do it. you're awesome. go for it. you you are the one who can get it done. You should just push harder, grind harder, hustle more. Fasting actually wires us for dependence, saying, "I'm not enough that that that's actually a need I have. There's a desire god has has wired me for dependence on him as a creator. And I think about this honestly as a dad, you know, for a whole whopping year in this new role of my life, I've thought about this like, Honestly, I look back and I look at dads who do it really well, and this Father's Day, I've just come to the realization that what happens is is dad's legacies. Maybe this is not true of your dad, but maybe you are one and you want this to be true just like I do. But a dad's legacy, especially if they're a Jesus follower, is not built on what you achieved independently from him. What you achieved independently from God. Saying, look at this kingdom I've built the legacy that will last for eternity is going to be a legacy of dependence on God. That didn't always make sense. That was steps of faith. That was, was relational risk. That was maybe putting your, your reputation and status on the line. Like my legacy as a dad, like it or not, will be built on my level of dependence to God in my life. Physically, spiritually. I mean, you just go down the list And to be honest, like, it's July 4th and a couple weeks from now, like, that's the international don't sleep if you have little kids night. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. All our neighbors love it. But in that celebration, we're celebrating independence. We're celebrating the fact that America is a free country, and I appreciate it. I love living in America. But if my spiritual life is built on a declaration of independence, I will fall apart spiritually. I will be ruined. My life as a Jesus follower must be built on the foundation of a declaration of dependence on my heavenly father. That's how I was built. It's how I was wired. It's how God lovingly designed us. And honestly, you could look at your life. Maybe you're sitting here today, June 19th, and you are frustrated. Maybe even spiritually, you just say that. Maybe I feel like I'm in kind of a dark night of the soul or I'm I'm depressed or I'm disconnected from God. I can't hear his voice. Maybe I'm mad at God about something or some relationships is not working out and, and I'm taking it out on him. Like, honestly, some of us are frustrated at Jesus and I've lived this way, not because he's not good or faithful or will provide for your needs, but because we've stopped depending on him and have started using him as a means to our own end. That that could be, for you, some of that level of frustration and angst and not getting something out of your devotions or whatever it is that you're mad about. Now, you think about fasting. Really, what fasting does is it helps us depend on Jesus in two primary ways. The first way is it helps us depend on Jesus for fulfillment. Fulfillment. And, and, and the opposite of that, of opposite of depending on Jesus for fulfillment, may be practically for you depending on depending on things like food. Honestly, food's not bad, but it can become, for for so many of us, which is why we don't like talking about, we don't like talking about weight or our diet or what we're eating or what we're hiding and eating. and what Like, we don't like talking about any of that because food can be, for us, a place where we find fulfillment outside of Jesus. Like, like you're looking at a person who has a very easy time worshiping at the altar of a Chipotle burrito. <laughs> like, it is way too easy for me If it's been a hard week to just be like, you know, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to eat. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to enjoy it. And it lasts like, I don't know, 20 minutes. And then after that, you're just as unfulfilled. You're just as sad. You're just as anxious or overwhelmed in life. Like food can play that role for us. But the opposite of depending on Jesus for fulfillment really is living out of control. Fulfilling every indulgence you have like a little kid living off every impulse you have, just like a, a mad little teenager, you know, like th- that for us can be how we end up living. And now for you, it may not be food. Honestly, you may be like, I don't struggle with food. That's not my thing. Maybe for you, it's lingering on a website, you know, you shouldn't be on. And there's a moment of fulfillment. There's a moment of getting needs met. And that moment is super short and super, super depressing super guilt inflicting, you know, that may be an area for you where you're like, okay, that's highlighted now. I'm trying to fulfill that desire for intimacy or love in a place that I'll never actually find it. For you, that may not be that. It may be like the physical relationships. It may be uh, a dating app, Match or Tinder or Bumble where you're like, as soon as that notification lights up, your world gets so much better. You're like, finally, I made it. Someone thinks I'm pretty. Someone thinks I look good. Someone thinks I'm valuable. And, and what that moment will do for you is highlight where you're finding fulfillment outside of dependence on Jesus. And it's short. It's quick. It doesn't last a long time. For you, maybe it's video games. Like, honestly, maybe for you, it's Call of Duty. It's uh, probably not Mario Kart because that's a holy game. But think about other things, you know? Like, I'm not going to knock Mario Kart from the stage. That would just be uh, sacrilegious. But But there may be other games, maybe Fortnite or, I mean, you name it, you go through the list and you may be like, people don't play video games when they're older. Oh yes, they do. And you'd be shocked at how many people find that instant moment of gratification fulfillment in the win or victory little logo popping up on their screen. And then it's short. And then you lose to a 13 year old and you just feel dumb. You know what I mean? Like those moments are so, so fleeting. Maybe for you, it is food. It's, it's grilling or smoking meat. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to knock that on Father's Day. Another sacrilegious thing to do. For you, it may be like a salon or spa experience that you look forward to, and you walk out of there feeling beautiful and cared for and, and pampered and tended to. And that moment, that feeling is so, so fleeting. You will never find fulfillment in that. It just is not going to happen. But but fasting is one of those weird practices, again, that very few of us ever actually practice, that wires us for dependence in an independent world. It will fulfill us. Richard Foster, writer and mystic says, more than any other discipline, fasting will reveal the things that control us. It will highlight, I can prove it to you. I fast like at least once every couple of years. I should probably a lot more often. And I'm going to this week as a moment of accountability to you. I just I do not like fasting because I'm obsessed with food. It's a very difficult thing. But but what will happen is when you're sitting there hungry, when you're sitting there wishing you could eat your favorite meal, when you're sitting there wishing you could have that candy bar or that burrito, whatever it is for you, what will happen is God will highlight in your hunger the things that may be controlling you. The things that you're leaning on for fulfillment and for nourishment And it's actually a great grace he gives us. So that's the first area, really, depending on Jesus for fulfillment. The second is depending on Jesus for nourishment. And literally, I'm talking about the physical things that God's providing for you in your life. Like, if you keep depending on him, you will see him show up time and time again. Like, I I can remember times in our marriage, very early on, where we literally sat down across the kitchen table and was like, we just got this medical bill. We just got this thing. We have this rent check. We cannot pay this. There's no way. We don't have extra money. We don't have time. We don't have the resource. And God would provide in a way, there'd be a check in the mail. There'd be someone who'd give us a gift card. It's like crazy. And that's happened even recently, last couple of years. Some of you have been answers to prayer in that way for us. But there's been moments where I just realized, wow, God, you are nourishing. You're giving us what we need. You're not only uh, physically providing for us, But there's actually a line, I've never caught this, never caught this. In the scriptures, there's a very famous prayer referred to as the Lord's Prayer. We've talked about it, preached on it, prayed on it before. But in the Lord's Prayer, there's a line that says, give us today our, if you know this, shout it back to me, give us today our daily bread. Yeah. Now, I think Jesus is the most brilliant person to ever walk the planet. Stand by that statement. Why does he say, give us today our today bread? Like, that grammatically is messy. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, God, give me today my today bread. It's like, yeah, you already said that. You don't need to repeat that. But if you dig into this, and I did some homework this week, just like all of us could do with the sources of Google, and find, and you can easily find that the word in today is different than the word for daily. Jesus invites disciples, people just like you and me, students of, of the way of Jesus, to actually pray, give me today this 24-hour chronological section of time. Give us today our, the Greek word here is epiusion. Give us today our daily bread. And epiusion is actually, it's really not a common Greek word. Basically, Greek scholars and historians said that the gospel writers kind of mashed up a few words into this word, and they kind of coined it for themselves. It's like a word only appears in the gospels a few different times. And the word there is not a 24-hour period of time. The word there is speaking to your entire rhythm, your entire way of living. That God doesn't want to just provide food for your lunch. He wants to provide for every single need you have in every single point of your life. Your daily bread, nourishment. That's why Jesus talks about it. He's like, you have food I know nothing about. Like like I have a much deeper need than just to get some fish and loaves going. Like I need my father's presence. I need to do his will. You see the psalmists say stuff like this all the time. Like David, Psalm 109, he's running away. He's getting chased down for his life and he prays or sings and prays. I'm not really sure how it went down with him, but in verse 24 of Psalm 109, he literally says, my knees are weak from fasting. Now I've fasted for short periods of time. I've never felt that physically weak where like your bones are like shaking. This is how David describes fasting. So my knees are weak from fasting. And then six verses later, verse 30, David literally says, but my mouth is full of your praise. So the contrast is important, right? He could get physical food. It's not like David's like inept. The guy knows how to find food. He's the king of Israel. He probably has some resources, but he says, I'm fasting. And instead of taking in food, what I'm feasting on is the presence of God. My mouth is full of his praise. Pastor David Platt puts it this way. He says, our spiritual need for God is far more fundamental than our physical need for food and water. Our spiritual need for God is far more fundamental than our physical need for food and for water. This is why it's striking that Jesus fasts fully God, fully man. Why does this, why does he even need to fast? Because even for Jesus, he lives, he was among a a world and a culture and society, which independence was prized and was a high value. See Jesus fasts. he goes hungry so that you and I can feast on his presence. Jesus goes thirsty. So you and I could drink from the living water every morning. Jesus denied himself so that you and I could have full, vibrant, rich life in him. Uh, Some of you know I'm kind of nearing the end journey of my master's program. Thank God, Jesus Almighty, Holy Rabbi of the Lord. I can't wait to be done with it. I am not, uh, it's been much harder than I anticipated. It's like another part-time job on top of having a job. And one of the things I've studied in in the, some of the early courses was church history. You literally go back and study, like I, I did a class where you go from Jesus' birth all the way till now. And, and it was incredible just to learn kind of the narrative and story of the church and explore all the different streams of faith. And it was really encouraging. Because one of the things you find in the first couple hundred years is is church fathers and mothers who are leading the way and protecting, preserving some of these practices, including fasting for the early church. It started to really get the attention of people around. One of those church fathers was named Cyprian. We have an image of this guy and I envy not only his hair on the top of his head, but on the bottom too. Like it's a beautiful beard, nice and gold. I'm sure that's exactly how he really looked in person. (laughs) Probably not. But he writes and, and captured some of these early practices of the church. And historian Alan Kreider, who's one of my textbooks, writes about this kind of phenomenon that took place among who, who people back in the day referred to as pagans, people who did not follow the way of Jesus, who were, were in their arenas persecuting Christians, martyring Christians. And this is what he says about that initial uh, couple followers of the way of Jesus. He's talking about the pagans here. He says, a few people, initially a tiny number of courageous people, but soon a larger group, they looked at the Christians who were often most eloquent when they were not in control of situations. Does this sound like dependence to anyone else? Does it sound like giving control up to God and intuited that another way of living was possible and that the Christian way of living was worth so much that they would give everything up to seek it everything up people who made living had status reputation off persecuting chasing down hunting these Christians were willing to give up all of that to seek it why because of practices that were countercultural and got them in touch with being fully dependent on God whom they could not see could not feel could not touch and the invitation for you and I is the exact same invitation. It's radical steps and practices just like fasting that create in us a, a countercultural hunger for God. A counter just like Nick was saying earlier, the things that they start to stew in you. They start to become alive in you. Things like prayer, meditation on God's word, fasting. And what happens is the people around you start to notice. It's almost inevitable. And it's not because you want to get glory. It's not because you want to be made famous or you want everyone to know you're fasting. Like, I'm going to be on Facebook for two weeks. I need to post about it and let all my people know. You know, like, it's not, not that kind of thing. If you do that, I'm sorry. I just made fun of you, but also not too sorry. But fasting is not that. Fasting is this inward thing. Jesus even says in the Gospels, don't tell people you're fasting. Don't make a big show about it. Don't declare to everybody. Why? Because it's an inward reality that takes place. It, it wires us for dependence in an independent world. And this is the invitation. Like something we prayed earlier this morning, and I just felt led in first service to share. I'm just going to share it with you again. Is that people would walk in center church. They would walk in through these double doors or watch something online. And what they wouldn't encounter or be most impressed with is A sermon or great songs, or really warm people, good coffee, awesome kids programming, whatever. Those things are great. I love that about our church. I think those things are true. But what I hunger for the most, what I thirst for the most, is people to walk in and encounter God's presence for themselves. That they would just know something is different, something is unique, I don't know what's happening in that retail unit, but it's, it's otherworldly. It's supernatural. It's good. I want it. I desire it. I crave it for, for myself and for my family. That, that's really why we're still doing all this. That's really why uh, our family and so many of your families have given our lives to the mission of seeing zero lives unchanged, because that's really the only thing worth it. But what will inhibit that happening. This is so counterintuitive. What will inhibit that happening is if we decide we don't actually need things like fasting or scripture or prayer. We're just gonna make it happen. Just put on a service every weekend and hope something special happens. Like Sunday, friends, not enough. So short of all that God has for us. And, and fasting wires us for dependence. It's like this radical, nonsensical thing you can add into your week that will create in you a deep hunger and thirst for God. And that's honestly what I want for you. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what I want for my family, for myself. And honestly, the the common denominator, you read, you read Israel's history, you read through the Old Testament. When did they fast? They fasted when their nation was in a crisis when the social fabric of the nations around them and even their own nation was slowly deteriorating. Does this sound familiar? So today, I'm going to call us together this Wednesday to fast, to literally practice it. Why? Because your pastor's really bad at it. So I need all of you to help me. Like that's basically what we're going to do. We're going to be hungry and seek after God together to pray for our nation, to pray for our church, pray for our families. Like Jesus just assumed his followers would fast. You can read the Sermon on the Mount. Literally says, when you fast, not if you fast or if you choose to to add on this practice, he just assumed we would do it. And maybe for you, it it needs to get really practical because here's what I know. If we go in and we decide we're going to fast together on Wednesday, maybe for you that can only be one meal. Maybe it's a whole day. Maybe you still need to drink some kind of fluids or If you have a kid or something, like you just be aware of all those things. I don't think Jesus is gonna judge you for how you do it. I'm just gonna invite us to practice it together. Maybe you need to make a plan. Like for me, the plan is going to be, we're gonna gonna jump on Facebook Live or something and we're gonna pray together. You can join us digitally for that as a church. So that's my plan. I know that's gonna be there. I'm gonna go to that. I'm gonna enjoy that. I'm gonna pray through that. Maybe for you, it's being generous with the provision God has given you. As you abstain from food, maybe you go and you're a generous person. You go and buy a bunch of gift cards for your neighbors. You go buy someone in need a Meyer gift card so they can get food. Maybe you, you take a time to pray specifically through a list of people that you want to see meet Jesus or have an encounter. Maybe they need physical healing. I don't know what it is for you. But maybe you be generous with food. Or maybe you take time, you set aside time at work or at home to just say, I'm going to read a a chunk of scripture. Maybe you read through the story again or read something else. You just set aside time to meditate on God's word and to pray together with somebody or spouse or family, whatever it is. I just want to encourage you as we practice this together on Wednesday, you got to make a plan. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Like that is so true when it comes to, is that the right way? Y'all just looked at me super funny. Okay, just making sure. But, but I think that's so true even when it comes to spiritual practices. So what I want to do, I want to carve out some time to just pray and pray over you, pray for you. And together, what we're going to do this Wednesday is actually practice this because what God wants most for you is not that you check off a box of all these spiritual habits you added this summer. That, that, would, be the, that would be a fail. I failed if that's what you walk away thinking. What God does want for you is deep, Lasting communion with him. And that happens when we make decisions to do things that don't necessarily make sense on paper. Fasting does not make sense, but it will lead you to dependence on Jesus. So I'd love to pray for you. God, I just, right now, I'm just asking that together, knowing that it's your heart for us, that you would create in us a hunger and thirst for your presence. And then some way this Wednesday with our stomachs rumbling, with feeling hangry and uncomfortable and wanting to solve it some other way that you would actually minister and meet with us in a way we've never experienced before. That through these practices together, Jesus, you would wire us for dependence again on you the true living water, the bread of life. And it's not because we want to add something to our life or we're bored or we want to become some spiritually elite person, but it's because we have need that goes so far beyond food and water. And we want to encounter Jesus, your presence in our families, in our community, in our workplace, in our staff meetings, in our sports games, in the locker room. We, we long for you. So help us God, as we seek out some of these practices, fasting included, to just chase after the freedom those can bring the joy they can bring, the light they can bring. We pursue you. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.